Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. How many of you agree today that nobody's greater than the living God? How many of you believe that they're your sanctified soul? That nobody, nobody, nobody is greater than our God. Amen, amen. Welcome again to Epiphany Fellowship's second Sunday morning gathering. Aren't you excited about our new deacons today? Amen, 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 amen. We're excited as well. Keep my wife lifted. She wasn't able to come today. As many of you know, she's dealing with um, some physical challenges. She had a bit of a spike temperature. And for her, that usually means a trip to the hospital. This time she's just resting at home, taking some antibiotics. And so just keep her lifted. We believe in God for restoration and healing in every area of her body. Um, in the natural, she is supposed to get evaluated for a transplant on July 6th, I believe it is. Well, they um, evaluate, this is her second transplant, so they do an evaluation to let us know where she will be on the list um, when they put her on the transplant list. Um, so keep her and our family lifted up. I want to thank the church for all um, the ways that you've been coming alongside of us when her temperature spiked. Uh, we made a quick call and people jumped into place, got our kids for us, brought them to church and took them to children's ministry and um, been just, just all different types of ways in which the body has come alongside of us. And so we want to thank God for a great church, a great church, a great church, a great church, a great church. Praise the living God. Just a few things, as many of you know, last Wednesday, uh, we had a members meeting, great time together. Um, and we, one of the things we talked about was the Diamond Festival. Um, one of the things that we talked about was because of all that's going on, we didn't actually calculate how much fundraising in the church was going to be going on when we talk about fundraising. So much just stuff to do ministry. And so everything from our Malawi, uh, stuff with Malawi, from also our um, work with uh, our local community and doing Camp Hope and other items that's going on, um, donating to the Diamond Festival, different things like that. We wanted to set up pressing you hard because this time last year, we had um, more resources in from you than the last time. And so in, uh, instead of being... Uh, an atmosphere of compulsion. God doesn't like compulsive atmospheres. We have to press on the congregation financially. Somebody should say amen. 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 And so what we did was we cut the budget in half from 60 to 30, and, and we're still going to do all of those things from the free haircuts, free uh, hairdos, and um, helping people get jobs, job preparation, all of those different things. It's just not going to be on steroids like it was last year. But, I, but the neighborhood will still be happy that the church is on the block doing something. Somebody should say amen right there. And so we wanna, we wanna get ready for that and um, please uh, give um, liberally to all of those different things as there are great opportunities for us um, locally, nationally, and internationally to love our city with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna acknowledge uh, Pastor Tommy and Fatima one more time, them being here from Epiphany LA. I was, I was able to um, be with them a few weeks ago, they launched two months ago now. Was it two months? Two months ago, they in a YMCA um, at the at, right behind, right in front of the jungles. Now, only people from that area know in Crenshaw what the jungles mean. 
Um, but but it is an area that has changed a bit, but it's still, is it Crips there? Bloods there, that's a big difference, right? So yeah, Bloods, it's, it's, it's Bloods area, so they're like right on the cusp of it. And then behind them is the richest black neighborhood in the country, on the hill above of it called the Hills. Then right in front of them is gentrification and mall. So they're in a very complex area. And it was beautiful to walk in and y'all don't see, some, most of y'all wasn't here for this, only a few people remember when we used to do set up and break down. Every Sunday, some of y'all don't know what it's like to take all the chairs out, all the sound system down, put it away. So only a few, who was here during that time? Yeah, some of y'all, some of y'all remember that, that season of Epiphany Fellowship. It was a very, very different time. But they're there now, we walked in and it was multi-ethnic. I mean, it was Native, a Native American dude came in with his flip-flops on. Um, you had a, a crew of Asian people, you had white folk, you had different type of black folk, and all up in the room together. It was a beautiful montage of probably the most eth ethnically diverse church plant I've ever seen. And so we want to be encouraged. And people got baptized Sunday. Um, so it was that Sunday. And so just a lot of good stuff going on. Um, keep them lifted up in prayer as God has called them greatly there and they are doing a wonderful incarnational work to glorify God through Jesus Christ in a hard place. Amen, amen. It's, 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 it's something beautiful watching people go to difficult places and not fearing nothing but the fact that God had called them and, and come hell or high water, we're gonna remain what God has us to be. Um, not only that, be prayer for Epiphany Baltimore that's launching in September. They'll be launching in September. Um, people wonder, do they beam me into the services? No, they don't beam me into anything. They just stand up and preach, amen. And so it's really, really exciting to see Epiphany Baltimore. They've grown, matter of fact, my sister and brother-in-law have become a part of Epiphany Baltimore. So that's kind of crazy for me. You know, it's just kind of crazy for me to see family members going to um, churches. And I don't, I don't know what, it, I go to all of these church plants and somebody, formerly at Epiphany Fellowship finds their way into the doors and our service. So I saw all these missing members at Epiphany LA. I said, this is where y'all been, amen. And so it's, it's just a wonderful thing to share and to see what God is up to. And that's the type of stuff that you all are doing. You're going to the fringes of different places and different cities. And a part of what you give goes to engaging those people groups. And, and, and I'm excited about that. Let's give God one last praise for it as you stand to your feet, amen. Amen. Um, Pastor Mond is going to be with us next week. I want you to pray for them. Pray for Malawi. I want you to pray. Um, I, I got to take my pastoral notes today. Um, I want you to pray for them. Um, met with him and Pastor Larry the other day at Sabrina's on Callow Hill. And, and we sat down and we were talking, and, and, I, and I, I, I had to hold back tears. Because they were in a facility, and, and they had, what is it, Pastor Larry, about 800 people, 600 people? Five to 600 people kicked out of their building. And all they're worshiping under is a tarp. In, 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 out in the area of the long way that they're in. And some people walk an hour to church. And some of them, it's raining on them while they're listening to the word. And they stand there patiently and listen to the word of God. I want you to be in prayer for Malawi with what they're challenged with now. Um, some of the things that they, I'm not trying to, you know, I know some of y'all are like, here you go again, but I, I, just, I just pray that we would, I don't know, just pray. I know we're trying to get a building. We just got to pray um, because I know it's wearing on Pastor Manda and they have, people are still coming to Christ. 
under a tree. In the United States, if we can't get a parking space, if we got to walk two or three blocks, I ain't going, because I, I got to walk two blocks. Some of these people walked in the rain messing up their nice shoes. So, so again, the rainy season is coming up. The rainy season, once it comes up, is going to be very difficult for them. So I don't know. Let's just be praying. That's all I'm going to say. I don't know what that means. But, but I, 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 we can't, I can't, I don't know. Just, just be in prayer. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's read together. We're in the last few weeks of our family series. Um, we're in the last few weeks of our family series. So you can put the word up there. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10. And then we'll be in verses, I think, 17 through 19. Let's read together. One, two, three, go. Amen. For this time that we are together today from this text, I'd like to talk about stewarding household resources. That was one amen. I'm going to say it one more again. <laughs> Don't get scared now. Um, stewarding household resources. I mean, let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you that we own nothing. That's, that's, that, that's, good news that we don't own and we didn't create anything but everything in this world belongs to you and you pass it into our hands for purpose so God uh, ferociously work on our hearts today Lord God as we learn what it means to steward household resources let the words of my mouth meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight oh God our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus mighty name we pray everybody agree that's it amen amen you may be seated you may be seated I may not have to nuance this like I did the f first gathering because it's less multi-ethnic in this gathering, but uh, it was it was it was everything in the last gathering, um, and so but but I do want to say this one of the things I, I'm I had to rewrite the last third of the chapter of the book that I'm about to put out in the fall, call um, woke church a call for the American church to engage racial injustice, and 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 on the last chapter I'm kind of giving hope. It's a tough book, so you got to give some kind of hope. So in the last chapter, I'm talking about the role of, in the latter part of the chapter, about role of multi-ethnic churches in dealing with issues of justice and race. And, um, and, 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 I'm, and I'm talking about the unique thing that gets lost in multi-ethnic churches. One of the things that can get lost in multi-ethnic churches is the different narratives that different people groups within that church have. 
One of the diff one of the things that's interesting is there are different. Even though each ethnicity isn't monolithic in and of itself, there are predominant narratives that are a part generally that each people group have to share as a part of their story. One of the balances that we have to strike in churches that have what we would call diversity is we have to understand each other's narrative. Now, as we understand each other's narrative, it makes us practically multi-ethnic, not just presently multi-ethnic. Oh, help me today. In other words, there's one thing to get in the room together. There's one thing to hold and lock arms with the heart of understanding your brother and sister in Christ together. And so, and, so, and so one of the things that I have to strike the balance, y'all don't know what it's like to be up here and you see different kinds of people and you don't know what you're saying that's tearing up their life. Now what I mean by that is you don't know what you're offending them, you know, because I'm a black, black dude. I'm not an Oreo cat. So because of that, I know I speak from a blackenized disposition. <laughs> y'all know, know what I mean? Come on now. Y'all know I'm straightforward. And all that, so I got a nuance, because I don't want my white siblings to feel like I'm shaming them. I don't want my Asian siblings to think I forgot about them. And so I got to balance all of those different things. But one of the things I don't want to do, particularly in a multi-ethnic church, because in white-led multi-ethnic churches, the narrative of black people get lost. And so what I want to do, since I'm the leader here, is make sure that no one narrative get lost, but also that black people aren't narratively muted in the montage of cultural and ethnic diversity in the church. So one of the things that I want to deal with today foundationally, somebody say foundationally, is that with all of our narrative differences ethnically, okay, economics is something that's very different in different cultures. How we deal with wealth, how we're taught about money, y'all know I'm telling the truth. That, that it is a lot different in Caribbean culture how people are taught about money. People in Africa, different Africans are taught about money in different ways. I hear some of the Nigerians talk about how they were raised economically and about school is just different. When I listen to um, black, I mean, whites, how some of the whites are taught about money. I was watching the Home, Home and Garden Network and you know, the, the lady on there, what's her name? Um, the half Korean, have you fix her up or the Waco people, yeah. She, she, she says something that I, uh, some, many African Americans, and this is not to shame our culture, wouldn't know and necessarily relate to. She go into a store and she says, you have your money? That's, you have the money I gave you, make sure you stay within what you're going when we go in the store. Culturally, some African Americans, we just happy to go into the store, so because we, our kids didn't have, and we have now, we just want to go in and buy them, yet we might not be economically teaching them how to manage money. Are you tracking with me? So what, what, I, what I want to do is, I don't want to leave out those nuances, as, as I know that our congregation is predominantly black and have others. As we go through this text, it's going to apply to everybody, yet because of the cultural, economic, and financial deficiencies that we deal with as African-Americans, I need to lean into us a little bit differently without shaming but loving. Amen. I don't want to read all of the article, but there's an article I read on the, the gaps between Hispanic and black wealth as opposed to white wealth. 
And it talks a lot about the fact that, in, that, that during the recession, <clears throat> whites recovered more effectively because what they lost wasn't the type of loss that blacks and Hispanics lost because they start at a different financial narrative ground. Help me. I was, I was in Northern Liberties the, day, the other day, sitting down, you know, chilling, and I, I, was, I, I was working on some, working on the sermon and stuff, and I was, I was at La Cologne. And I'm surrounded by white business owners talking about how they're going to take over the city. I was just, dang, he's going to buy that. He's going to buy that. And I'm listening to the philosophy. I was like, dang. And then I'm walking through, I'm listening, and, and I'm looking at the business development in Fishtown, and, and, and I'm looking at it, and I know of churches that planted over there, like the way those young millennial whites planted, listen, they got bread from their parents and they got loans easy. So their businesses, their ability to build wealth wasn't redlined. <laughs> okay. And so, and so when we talk about building wealth, which I'm going to talk about familiarly, I'm in this too. We have to talk about the nuanced differences between a qualified, I know a qualified African-American right now that went to an Ivy League school that can't get a loan, but a young white guy with no experience and barely a high school diploma go to the same bank and, and, and this person worked for a major corporation managing hundreds of millions of dollars, the black guy, the white guy got the loan cut blanche, the black guy gets denied. So, so we don't even know in our culture, and I'm going to get into this because this has a lot to do with it, that the Asians and whites get investments quicker than African-Americans who want to start businesses. So when we look at all of these different things, we have to begin to, as a church, train African-Americans on how to deal with money and how to build wealth. Are you tracking with me? Now, let me just soothe your heart real quick. I'm not pulling an offering after this. They're saying your connection to get your wealth is given to the man of God. And I'm not, I'm not doing that. So just chill out. Because I know some of y'all say, see, he talking about money. I know what the end result of this is going to be. Some type of anointing offering that's going to end in his pockets getting fat and mine being lean with a promise, right? <laughs> y'all know I'm telling the truth. So I just rebuked a major devil in your life. He ran out the room right there. Right? Amen. So we come to this text, which I think is important contextually and heart-wise. Somebody say heart. I like this text because it deals with the heart, not the money. It deals with the character, not the cash. It deals with the motives, not the money. It deals with your depth, not the dinero. In other words, in other words, as we as we look at this text, Paul in First Timothy chapter three, First um, Timothy chapter one verse three says, "Timothy, I, I went to Macedonia, which is the poorest church in the New Testament, documented poor rather." Um, he he said he says, "I'm going to Macedonia, but I'm leaving you in Ephesus, one of the more wealthier churches like Corinth, theologically astute, so that you can teach." Certain cats to stop teaching whack doctrine. Now, what's interesting to me about the false doctrine or strange doctrine that he talks about in chapter 1, verse 3, is there, like, like, like if you look at what he calls strange doctrine in the, in the whole of the book, when you look in chapter 1, it's work-based salvation. 
He re he's rebuking works-based salvation as based on the law as a, a false doctrine. He goes to chapter two and chapter three and deals with gender specificity and function. When you try to act like men and women aren't different, that's a false doctrine. Okay, so he deals with that. Still dealing with it today, right? Chapter three, he deals with proper exaltation of biblical leadership. In other words, people who are put in place have these qualifications. It's, in other words, he says some, some people have to be sat down and some people have to be raised up. And, and, and there's false doctrine in leadership. Chapter four, he begins to deal with the rubric of the false doctrine. Are y'all tracking with me? And he begins to say in verse, uh, chapter four, verse one, he says, but the spirit explicitly says in later times, many will fall away from the faith, paying attention to the deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, liars by means, are seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. In other words, he talks about that the, the, doctrine of, the doctrine that is false isn't just made up in the minds of humans, it's actually demonically motivated. And so, and so now when we talk about these false doctrines that Paul is coming up against. He's talking about doctrines that have nothing to do with Yahweh, uh, but have everything to do with our way. But in verse five, uh, chapter five, he talks about how to use and mobilize church resources for those who are in need. The false doctrine is to keep it for leadership, not give the people in need. We're gonna get to that later. In, in, in other words, lace the pockets of the leader but leave the broken out there in the cold. Then chapter six lays out, chapter six lays out the whole idea of money and character, which brings me to my first and only point. If we're gonna steward household resources, number one and only point, we have to recognize it begins and ends with the stewardship of one's heart. Stewarding household resources begins and ends with the stewardship of one's heart. I'm probably not going to get through all of this. I can already tell. See, I might have to listen to first service podcast. Love y'all. Verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Stop right there. That's good news. Now, what's interesting is this seemed like some small thinking. But Paul before this tells the disciples to tell Timothy to flee these things. He tells them, you flee these things, man of God. In other words, flee, fleeing, running after bread. But look here, it says, for godliness with contentment is great. And what is godliness? Godliness is the devout practice for an approach <coughs> and appropriate beliefs about God that causes us to have faithful commitment in the Christian faith. Let me say that again. The devout practice for an appropriation or appropriate beliefs about God that leads to faithfulness to the Christian faith. In other words, when you say someone is godly, he is godly, or she is godly, or they are godly, there are characteristics that follow them. In other words, a long obedience in the same direction. A godly person is a person that's not perfect, but they pursue faithfulness. And in, a, in, in, in light of that reality, um, one of the things that is that we have to recognize is that a godly person is in process. Okay, so when we look at what it says, it says the character of a person that stewards resources well, it starts with godliness, not resources. See, because most of us think if we get more, we'll, then we'll be godly. Then once you, God, see, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm wilding out like I am is because you ain't provided. But the text doesn't say that. The text says, no, uh, no, 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 no. Godliness precedes resourcing. 
Matter of fact, godliness basically functionally turns your disposition to how you're going to actually work with the resources that you have and don't have. Oh, God, I'm by myself. So he says, he says godliness, he says faithfulness with contentment. That's good right there. I like that he put this prepositional praise as a practical pause for our life. Now, what he, what he does is he says godliness has to have contentment. What is contentment? It's three things. It, it, it means to be satisfied in God, satisfied with where you are, and satisfied with what you are. Let me say that again. Means satisfied with, in God, satisfaction with where you are, and satisfaction with where you are, or with what you are. <clears throat> the, the problem with many of us is we're not satisfied with the Lord. See, many of you don't recognize that you, you, the reason resources won't make your life different, it'll make it worse when you're immature. Let it look, look at Ecclesiastes. Talk about, don't leave a fool your inheritance, it says. Because he will squander it. That's exactly what it says. That didn't even Eric Mason translation this time. Right? And so this reality of, uh, uh, of, of we have to stop thinking that our circumstances will change our disposition. Our circumstances expose our disposition. So that's why godliness with contentment, contentment being satisfied with God. Now, some of you say, that, that all that old being satisfied with God stuff, that's some old fake old cliche whackness, some old sub-level Christianity. Nah, it's the best level of Christianity that you could ever experience is to recognize and to realize that if you're satisfied with God, listen, if you're satisfied with God, money is only an ornament and a tool in your life, not your not your source, it's just a resource. And so, so, so you have to be very careful of thinking that your spiritual life and satisfaction will be different if your house was bigger, if your car was better, if your bank account was bigger, if you had your own business, or if you were climbing the corporate ladder. No, you are who you are, not by what you have, but who has you. Gotta be careful. Gotta be careful of thinking that the flesh can be sanctified by circumstance. You have to be careful. That's why you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to be satisfied with God and know how God does that. God puts you in circumstances that make you see him better. See, see, see some of y'all are hell raisers. Well, ain't nobody gonna talk back right there. <laughs> And so God starves your life of the exaltation you long for to show you your character. And what, listen, and what he will do when he shows you your character is you don't even, you're so busy raising hell, you don't know that he's showing you yourself. You just think you're just frustrated and complaining to God, but really the response that you're having to what you're going through is God showing you how messed up you are and how much you don't love him, how much you're not committed to him, how much you're not walking with him, how much you don't love him. Some of you, the way you know whether God is enough is write down what you think and say when it gets hard. <laughs> and, if, and, if, and if it's stuff that's far from, if it's curse words, 
Or don't look at me like you're funny because all of us have some unsanctified verbiage that's still a part of the nectar of our soul. Help me today. <laughs> Satisfaction with God because that, that's what your heart is about because, because you will never become what God wants you to become by getting more. So satisfaction with God, satisfaction with where you are. <laughs> Many of us are never satisfied with our life. And one of the things that we begin to do when we're not satisfied with where we are is we find functional saviors to fill in the gaps of what we don't believe we're getting from God in the time that we want it. You have, to be, you have to be careful that you don't fill in the gaps with stuff and things. Paul will talk about it in Philippians chapter uh, 4. He'll talk about, I learned to abound and abase in different situations. But some of us, this is what we do. When we get in a difficult situation, and you know, we used to living on a certain level. We used to going to Whole Foods, and we used to doing certain, don't look at me funny. And then God downgrades your economics. And some of y'all used to going, going out to King of Prussia to the, to the marble area, not the downstairs, you know. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Instead of trusting God in that season, you pull something out. To get yourself in more mess. Ain't nobody gonna talk back. Instead of trusting God to work, listen, if God can let the children of Israel walk in the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes not wear out, listen, listen, being satisfied with God doesn't mean you're in style, it just means you're in Him. Help me. See, you gotta, you gotta learn, many of you are always dreaming about the place that's not there in your life yet. And what begins to happen is you begin to walk in a comprehensive disposition of unfaithfulness, dissatisfaction, and bitterness with God when really God's just trying to work on you. Yeah. <clears throat> now let me tell you what this doesn't mean. Um, <clears throat> um, contentment doesn't mean complacency though. There's a difference. There's a difference, listen, <clears throat> between contentment and complacency. Contentment means, God, you haven't moved yet. I'm going to be satisfied with you in where I am. <clears throat> yet there's three things that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people of faith, love, and hope. Hope is the desire for more. Nothing wrong with that. Now, complacency is laziness. That's not contentment. Let, let, let me explain something to you with that. <clears throat> Complacency is it, it, contentment is saying I'm cool with where I am, but, complac but complacency says I don't care about anything else in my life growing. Now let me let me give you some examples of that. Now don't y'all get mad at me. <laughs> oh, it's too late now, Reverend. <clears throat> I think. Listen, I think that Uber and Lyft are honorable jobs. They're not careers. Some people, I'm gonna be honest with you, and I know for a fact that the reason why they only do Uber and Lyft is because they're lazy. 
They don't want to report to anybody. Oh, it's, it's got real quiet in here. And you don't want accountability. You want to get up when you want to, and when you feel like the bills are due, then you'll turn your app on. I'm not saying, and if God made that out of career for you, God bless you. I'm not trying to shame you. But what I am saying is, is don't become complacent in a leisure, boyish job. Let me give you an example. I got so much to say. My, uh, when, uh, in the midnight, when I first started ministry, I made $700 a month. And I was given with a wife. Now you got to understand, that was before taxes. See, some of the grown-ups felt that. <laughs> and I was in grad school with a wife that couldn't work because she got sick. So guess what I had to do? Be content with where God placed me, but not be complacent about what he brought into the house. Help me today. So guess what I had to do? I had to work my job and work my way up by paying dues and building credibility in ministry, yet I had to get another gig. I drove 30 miles across town between jobs, doing grad school and taking care of a sick wife. I ain't saying that because I'm somebody. I'm saying that because God did it. Listen, complacency means you don't, listen, some of you have been complacent for a while and God hasn't called you to a systemic disposition of complacency. Some of you are where you are because you choose to remain there. And until you do something different, nothing's gonna change. God, I'm praying for you to move. God, God, like I'm praying for you to move. That's what I'm praying for. Help me. See, all this is heart stuff. <laughs> I got to get the verse, one of these other verses. Verse seven. <laughs> verse seven. <laughs> he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. This is dope. This is dope. He restates Job's, Job's uh, 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 lament. And he recontextualizes the lament for the stewardship of the heart in money. They got to understand, Job was wealthy, every, lost everything. And he tore his clothes and pressed into God. Ah! <laughs> he tore his clothes and pressed into God. He was frustrated by what he went through, but he knew where to go to with his frustration. When you have a financial loss, it's, it, your grind ain't enough. <clears throat> you need to press into God because you may do something crazy. Oh, ain't nobody gonna talk back. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, God over your heart with all diligence for from it flows the issues of life. You have to know what you're like. 
You got to know you. You got to know when it gets lean, what you lean into. I know me, I got my functional saviors. And I'm too pastorally helpful to not name them. But I, like you, have things I lean into that I shouldn't. That God has to pull me back from to say, man, like, where did this end the last time? Did this end up bringing you closer to me? Or did this end up pushing you further away from me? Where, where did this end up? You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep you in the same class and you're going to repeat the same grade until you learn how to press into me. How you learn to come to me. How you learn to seek your identity in me. How you learn to pray to me. How you learn how to find everything. That's why you got to know your vices. Some of y'all be lying. You call them liberties. I call them vices. Ain't nobody going to talk back. Some of us think our trial is freedom to act a fool. Verse 8. I'm going to maximize these five minutes. <laughs> he says in verse 8, he says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Dag. Like, he ain't even in the house yet, but it's like, God, don't I get a house? I mean, he said, foxes have holes and hers, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere. But co 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 clothing here means covering. It means both. God says, many of us are discontent about stuff that's not core needs. God didn't promise you lobster. He promised you food. Somebody going to get that on the way home. <laughs> he said food and covering. Right? He didn't say exquisite cuisine. So some of y'all, <clears throat> see some of y'all when everybody go to forward the child and Chima, and you know you tripping by going. You tripping. They going to bring them Rosizi on the pass. You got your little green John over you like, dang. Garlic crusted this and bacon wrapped that. And know what you need to do? You need to do the seafood, do, do the do the do the do the do the salad bar. I'm just trying to help you. You're not in the Rodizio season. I'm trying to help you, family. I'm trying to help you. Don't live above your season, man. But you got to understand, in their day, if you had, like, they only had about three outfits in their day. Three. If you got a closet where you got suit section, even if it's this size, because I know how our Philly closets are. <laughs> Lord John, you just kick us right there. Just hang some stuff there. Then you go to Ikea and create outside of the, you know how we do. Go to the corner store, get some crates, right? Nail them to the wall, hang our bike. <laughs> Urban living. Um, <laughs> but we gotta know that most of us today who are poor in their day would be viewed as wealthy. If you have a pantry full of canned food, you wealthy in their day. 
because most of them lived off daily bread. <laughs> Says, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish, harmful desires <clears throat> which plunge people into ruin and destruction. We live in a society where people want to be rich. Everything is built around it. Rich gang, billionaire boys club. Come on, y'all. Y'all know I be in these streets. Look, dudes on the gram with holding up money to their ear. I like the fact that Jay-Z addressed that. Amen. Buy the block, not put it to your ear. Amen. We'll talk about that later. The world even gives general revelation wisdom sometimes. Broken clock is right twice a day, baby. So when we look at this, he says, we fall into, we fall, those who want to be rich, who daydream about being rich, fall into a bunch of mess. You ever met somebody, they always, they, they, I, I hate when they, you know when you think somebody just being nice, you're sitting on the plane or you wherever, on the block, somebody's, how you doing, man, you look nice, they start breaking up a conversation. You know, uh, so how many friends do you have? Well, I have this opportunity, I'm like, here we go. Here we go, some Amway or some selling or something. You know, you know how much money you, I said, man, I'm a pastor. Do you know what my life is like? I, I work three jobs. I, I, I don't have time for this. He said, no, what you actually can do is you can insert this opportunity into all your opportunities. And I'm just like, man, it's just nurturing a disposition of foolishness of riches. You know, even today we got, we got nobody won't speak out on it, but we need to rebuke the devil. See, Creflo Dollar and, what's the dude's name? Jesse Duplantis. Now, now one dude, I'm gonna take my time. One, I'm gonna be finished in a second. Give me like three minutes, I'll be done. Are y'all all right? Now, 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 home, now, now, I'm just trying to understand. Now, I gotta keep my verbiage sanctified for this. Amen. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Santi. Help me, God. Amen, help me. How you gonna ask people for $65 million for a jet to preach the gospel. Then he gets 70. Then money on the other side, you know, he joked too much in his sermons anyway, rebuked the false teacher. Um, he asked him for $54 million for a jet. Pastor Larry, what we riding in Malawi? I'm just saying, we got, it's one of him, it's 15 of us. We going coached in a mug like this. 25 hours of carrying on. Pass me some, some pretzels, right? Some snacks. Do you know how, combine how a 10,000 churches could do with all those over hundred million dollars gone to two jets and the fool's gonna get the money too. We live in a culture where no, we, we think it's cool. We think God owes us money. How God owe you anything? Let's try to understand. How, how, how in the world God owe you bread? How he owe you anything when he paid it all for your crazy behind to come from spiritual death to spiritual life? I got more to say, but I'm gonna close it on this. I got more to say, I'm done. Man, Jesus in Matthew 4 was tempted with riches. He went through this too at his weakest point where he just quit his job as a carpenter. He just quit his job after his baptism. <laughs> he went into the wilderness 
to fast for 40 days so he was near no corner stores. And he had been praying so he was weak physically and he didn't have a job. The devil waited until he was at his physically weakest point to come up and offer him what God was already going to give him. <clears throat> I'm a, uh, help me today. It's interesting that he takes him to the highest pinnacle on the earth. He says, look, son of God, you know, you know I got authority. I'm prince of power to air. I give you all the kingdoms of this world if you bow down and worship me. Now, a lack of character will let that weak moment bow your knee. But he didn't know that Jesus, even though he was getting weak physically, he was pressing into God spiritually. So at his weakest moment, he was at his strongest moment. And he had just enough gold, he'd had just enough minerals in his body, he had just enough hydration to move his mouth towards the devil and say to him, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having resources. We're going to talk about building wealth next week. But if you don't have character and you think wealth is going to save you, you are in trouble. Christ has already saved you. You use resources as a mechanism to tell people about the one who saves. I'm done. Father, we honor you. We thank you that you are our wisdom. You are our resource. If we have you, we got the resources. That's what's crazy about it, Lord. We don't have to worry. Worry ourselves to death. But we can pray ourselves and enjoy ourselves in life. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ the Savior. <clears throat> One of the best decisions you can make is to place your confidence in Jesus. Believing that God poured out his wrath on Christ, poured out all of it, his anger towards our sin, so that we wouldn't have to experience our sin. By dying on the cross and being raised up from the grave. If you're here today and you want to place your confidence in Jesus Christ, hold your hand up in the air. That you want to say, yes, I believe him who took all my sin to take me from spiritually disconnected from God to connection with God. Anybody here today? Anybody here today that wants to place a confidence? I see you, brother. <coughs> I see you, brother. Yes. Anybody else want to place their confidence in Jesus? Anybody else? We have time. Anybody else want to place their confidence in Jesus Christ? Anybody want to place their confidence in Jesus Christ? Anybody? I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best decision in your life you can make is put your confidence in Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? It says, I want to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ today. I want to place my confidence and him as the mechanism to take me from disconnection to connection. Anybody in this place want to place their confidence in Jesus? 
Amen. Well, this is enough here for a lot of angels in heaven to shout. God, I thank you. I thank you for giving these men the profession of faith. I'm praying that they would place their confidence in you and that they would be deeply anchored in Jesus Christ, not as a public profession and, and, and walking away from it, but Lord God, the reality of being regenerated by faith in what Christ has done and taking them from not just from spiritual death to spiritual life, but from spiritual infancy and spiritual maturity. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? All y'all need to celebrate this. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.